Good morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Hey, my name's Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It is an absolute privilege and joy uh, to be with each and every one of you this morning. I've got a couple really quick announcements, and then I, I want to get right to it. Uh, number one, if uh, you've been here for a while, we've been opening our elder uh, uh, applications open. And so if that's you, you're thinking about being an elder or pastor, you've been praying about that, thinking about that. Uh, today's the deadline to go get that piece of paper, put your name on the list, and start going through the process. So don't miss that. It's about a two- to three-year process or journey, and so uh, put yourself forward for that. Don't miss that opportunity. That's uh, today's the last day. And then second and lastly, uh, on the 20, I'm sorry, on the 12th of February, there will be no 6 p.m. gathering because there's a game and your team is not going to be in that game. <laughs> and ask me how much I care about uh, football, and the answer is none, <laughs> but I like making fun of it. Anyway, so anyway, we won't be having a gathering. That We'll have the 9-11, just not the 6. There's that. Hey, um, um, uh, true story. Years ago, like when we first moved out here, and we've been here about 16 years now, so about 15 years ago, I had heard that, yeah, you're going to laugh at this, Sandy, I had heard that um, there was this secret road, the secret pathway between the 95 and the 15. So if you go up the 95 uh, and, you, and you look out there, there's like the secret road that like is you know, unmarked and all that, and you can drive across it and get to the 15. You guys know what I'm talking about? Do you know what the 95 and the 15 is? You know what they represent? Okay, roads. Got it. Interstates. <laughs> just making sure, like, I just like, oh, maybe I stunned them. I don't know. My bad. My bad. Uh, anyway, there, there's this road there. So, like, I picked all the kids up and put them in uh, my car. Now, I'll explain my car to you. It's going to be, it's going to be an impressive, uh, when I tell you this car, you'll probably be jealous of me from this point forward. Uh, the car that I own and I owned uh, then as well is a 2006 Ford Freestyle. And you're like, I've never heard of that. And I'm like, yeah, because they don't make them anymore. <laughs> Uh, to look at my car now, it looks like a, an athlete who was like a really good athlete back in the day, but just kind of gave up. <laughs> it's, like, it's like all rickety when you drive it. It's leaking a lot of fluids. You know what I'm saying. But anyway, so I was like, hey, it's, it's front-wheel drive. It's not even four-wheel drive. And so, like, hey, let's do this. So I packed Angie and all the kids up. We drove out there, and we kept looking, kept looking. I, I think that's it. I think that's it. And literally, it was just some ruts out into the desert leading out to nowhere. I was like, I found one. I think that's the trail. And so we go out on it. We're driving around, bouncing around, having a good old time. And then all of a sudden, like, we got so far away from the interstate to where, like, you could barely see the lights going through, and it bottomed out. I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is not good. And I, and I got out, and, like, um, if you know this about Las Vegas Desert, it's basically a crust, and underneath of it is, like, a brown, fine flour-like substance under it. Have you noticed this? And so, I mean, I, when I bottomed out, I bottomed out. And, like, I'm out there. I'm trying to get us out. I am covered head to toe in dust. And I told Angel, like, my bad. Uh, we're stuck out here. And so I had to call my, I had to call my friends and say, hey, uh, a couple of buddies of mine with pickup trucks, like, y'all got to find me because uh, it's getting dark and like, this is bad because like, you know, this is how mo scary movies start. It's getting dark. <laughs> I'm, I'm, way, I'm way out there. You'll see, you, you'll see me. I'll be the idiot in the middle of the desert with my flashers on. And sure enough, they found me, made fun of me, rightfully so, and pulled me out of there. It was great. Uh, but I got stuck in between where I was coming from and where I want to go. Now, I tell you all this story for this reason. Uh, this describes most of our life. Not dumb decisions, but that, that too. But this describes uh, at times, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ here, how we are in life. We came from somewhere. We're on this path that like is invisible at times that we can't see. We get bottomed out and we get stuck to where we want to go. 
That probably describes most of our lives right here that we're just bottomed out. We are kind of stuck. Well, we're continuing this series called uh, Everyday Missionaries, and the whole heart behind this is what I want to push and want to uh, show you from the Bible over and over and over is that we as Christians, every one of us, are called to be missionaries in everyday life. And the problem is, is sometimes we don't see ourselves as missionaries, or even when we do see ourselves as missionaries, we feel like we have no power to do anything about it. Why? Because most of us feel like we are stuck. And here's what happens. And I know this happens to us. Uh, You come in on Sunday and I stand up here and I tell you, hey, you need to focus on Jesus. Hey, you need to trust Jesus. Hey, you need to walk with Jesus. Hey, you need to tell people about uh, uh, Jesus. And you need to share your faith with other people and serve other people and love other people and care for other people. And you're like, hey, that sounds great, uh, but my life is packed right now. Uh, Like uh, my life feels like it is stuck right now. And so what you, what you hear is you just hear me piling on a bunch of things you need to do on top of the things you're already doing, and you start to feel guilty about it. Does that kind of describe it? Let me go in depth a little bit more. You feel like sometimes I'm just I'm stuck with just everyday life. I'm trying to get, uh, get to work. I'm trying to do a job. I'm trying to put food on the table, keep the lights on, keep the roof over our head. I'm trying to finish my education. Maybe some of you are in middle school, trying to get to high school, high school, trying to get to college. Some of you are going to college or master's or PhD right now, and you're just trying to do that. I mean, like you've got a lot going on. You're trying to parent. You're trying to be married. You're trying to do all the things. Meanwhile, you've got kids in a thousand different activities. You've got like all these things going on in your life. And then you hear me come in here and say, hey, by the way, trust Jesus, follow Jesus, share Jesus with everyone around you. You're like, how am I supposed to do that? There's a God who has a will and a way and desires for us. And yet our lives are so full. How do we, how do we work that in? Do you feel the weight of that? All right, here's what I want you to do, because this is probably, you're probably not afforded or allowed to do this in most areas of your life or most places of your life. Here's what I want you to do right now. If you're feeling the stress or pressure of that, are you ready? I just want you right where you're sitting to take a deep breath. You're in a safe place to do that. You know why? Because you're not alone. This probably describes most of us because this is the human condition. This, this is the dilemma of us as Christians as well. Why? Because the Bible tells us that somewhat we are in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world, and yet so many times it feels like, that no, we are of the world because everybody's in these fast pace and everybody feels these pressures and no one's really living this out. And so uh, I've got some really good news for us today. So if you've got a Bible, I think uh, Paul addresses this in the second letter to the church in Corinth. So if you've got a Bible, go to 2 Corinthians Let's see what he has to say about this, and I think it's going to be very helpful to us today. Second Corinthians will be in chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you're going to need one. We lead, teach, and preach from it. We got them in English and Spanish, also on your smartphone. Uh, there's an app called Uversion. You can download that and all that. But uh, Paul wrote this. Actually, Paul wrote a few letters to the church in Corinth. Uh, two of them we have, one we don't. The one we don't have may, may have been him just outlining his middle finger. I don't know. <laughs> Because he was so mad at that church. That was inappropriate. I'm sorry. <laughs> I told myself, like, don't say it. And I was like, here goes my mouth. <laughs> but like, if you know the context, he got so frustrated with that church of like, God, and there's a reason why we don't have the third one. It may, I don't know why we don't, only because of God. My apologies for that. But anyway, in this letter, uh, you can see that the, the church in Corinth were just stuck. They were just such a mess. 
And what he wants to do is to help them get unstuck. And so today I want to look at a couple things within our text. And, and I really believe if we start to, to process this and start to think through this and start to see uh, what God has for us and how he wants us to get unstuck, I believe we will. And we will actually start living for Jesus and everyday life, and we'll actually start to live as everyday missionaries as well. So let me, let me show you a couple things from the text. Sound good? Verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, before I get fired. 14. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was dumb. All right. For the love of Christ controls us, okay? When you read this text, read it plainly. There's no, you don't have to do like some hermeneutical jujitsu through here to like, oh, what it really means this. No. What controls us? And he's writing to Christians, am I right? So the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. That would be Jesus died for all. Therefore, all have died. We die now. And he died for us all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So who are we no longer to live for if we're in Christ? It's a plain reading of the text, right? It's very, very simple. But for him, who's the him in the text we're supposed to live for? Jesus, who for their sake died and was raised. Number one, write this down. Number one, you want to start living as an everyday missionary? You want to start living for Jesus in everyday ways? Number one, give Jesus more control. Is that what that text says? It's basically just like, let the love of Christ control us. Stop living for self. So number one, uh, give Jesus more control. Paul is saying the love of Jesus has so invaded our lives. Now it should be lived out in every mechanism of life in everyday ways. Jesus died for me. My only response for that is I died to self. Jesus was raised from the dead, and now we are raised from the dead to live in newness of life. And so let's go live out this new life in Christ. That means this. <clears throat> I am no longer the boss of me. You are no longer the boss of you. Uh, let me illustrate this way. H have you ever, you ever been a kid? Were you ever a kid? Like, uh, remember being a kid and, and your parents had rules in the house? Remember that? They had rules. Uh, my dad had all, the, all these crazy rules in the house. Or like these sayings, uh, my, my dad, uh, like, you know, you'd go in the house and we're, grew up on farm and all that. You go in the house, as a kid, you take your shoes off because you're going to go sit down and do whatever. And dad would be like work ready all the time. And so he'd be going, going outside, like, hey, son, let's go do X, Y, Z. I'm like, all right, hang on, Dad, let me get my shoes on. My dad's like, get your shoes on. You need to be shoe ready. You need to be boot ready. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And I was like, well, Dad, what, you want to be like Rick James on Andy Murphy's couch and like get it all dirty? Like, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand what you want here. Or like if you open the door a whole lot because you're a kid, you're running in and out outside playing and all that, my dad would yell, enter out, son, pick one or the other. You're letting the bot air out. <laughs> Did your dad say those things too? My dad was the, the, the light king. Man, oh man, my dad could be on one end of the house, and if you walked out of that room on the other end of the house and left the light on, for some reason, my dad knew. He would yell, turn the lights out. You paint an electric bill around here or something like that. Well, I got a little bit older when I was, as a teenager. I was like, I'm going to start challenging some of these things, which was dumb. And I said, I said Dad, why, you know, why, why all this, why all that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my dad said this. He said, son... My house? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, the Bible pulls that card too. God pulls that card. Even in Paul's writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know, he's talking to Christians, that your body is a temple. You know what God is saying right there? 
My house, my rules. Temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. You're no longer the boss of you. You're not the leader of you. For you were bought with a price. The, the, the price was the death of Christ. So glorify God in your body. God's house, God's rules. And so when Paul says the love of Christ controls us, we no longer live for ourselves. And this is the very command, holistic language here that everything is to be controlled by the love of Christ in our life. Uh, Abraham Kuyper said it like this. He says, They're not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. It's all His. So, so what does that mean? Does that mean, as a Christian, everything I, I do must be overtly Christian, and I can't do things that don't have a Christian label on them or Christian title on them or Christian uh, literature on it or whatever that is? No. Then how do I live for Jesus? How, how do I give Jesus more control? I want to answer that. How do you give Jesus more control? I'm going to answer that very simply right now. And if you do this, I guarantee incrementally Jesus will get more and more control of your life. You might want to write down what I'm getting ready to say. And it's, it's, it's really simple, but if you do this, it will actually work. Uh, and I'm getting ready to say this, and some of you are like, I love that. And some of you are like, I hate that. I wish you never said it. So here it goes. You ready? When you think, and you're thinking all the time, when you're thinking about making decisions in life and all that, remove I and put in Jesus, Right? When you think about life and the choices you want to make, remove I and put Jesus in there. What that is going to require of us is to be a little bit indifferent to self and to will. To our own, we're gonna, we need a little bit of indifference to ourselves. We need to think a little bit less about our wants, wills, and whims and all that and more about Jesus and his wants. Let me, let me illustrate like this or give you some examples. Uh, instead of saying, what should I do with the money that I have? How should we replace it? What does Jesus want me to do with the money that I have? Or here's another one. How should I, or uh, how, what should I do in marriage? And the question should be is, what does Jesus want me to do with my marriage? Do you know how, how like, life-changing that is? Because a lot of times in marriage, it's all about me. What I want, what's good for me. And all. What if it, what's good for Jesus in, in my marriage? Or here, here's another one about parenting. Instead of like, what do I want these kids to become? Because if we're not careful, that's what parenting has become. We're trying to make our children something. And typically it's something that we were not or something that we want to be or something that we want them to be. And it makes a lot of money or whatever. Am I right? And sometimes like, what do I want to make these children in? But the better question is, how has Jesus made these children and what are they to be for him? That'll, that'll radically transform your parenting. See, with everything, with everything, what if we just start to say, hey, what does Jesus want with this? You know what it's going to force us to do? Ha Because sometimes we'll be like, I, I, I don't know what Jesus wants. It's going to force us to find out what he wants. It's going to force us to get with one another and say, hey, I need him to help with this. I, like, what have you discovered Jesus has said about this? It's going to going to force us to be more in his word and more of his people. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a, that's a great thing. And this is what I believe that Paul is telling the church in Corinth and us as well. Like, give Jesus more control of your life. So, so, so go do that. Go do that. Go on. Go do that. But, but why? Why should I give Jesus more control of my life? And 
Why, why should I not live for myself any longer? I'll answer that. Uh, but I got, I got to pile some more stuff on you first, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to answer it. Let me keep going. Number, uh, let's get back to the text. Verse 16. It says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Flesh, important word right there. We'll talk about that in a second. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So number one, give Jesus more control. Number two, see through the eyes of Jesus. I think that's what he's talking about right there. He says right here from now on, uh, who's, who's he talking to? Is he talking to Christians or not Christians? He's talking, to, he's talking to a church. He's talking to Christians there. Uh, he says, we regard no one uh, according to the flesh. What does flesh mean? Well, flesh was one of those shorthand words that Paul he loved using. He used it throughout a lot of his writings in the New Testament. What does flesh mean? Uh, flesh in this text does not mean your skin and bones and ligaments and wires and hoses in your body. It doesn't mean that at all. That's not what he's talking about. When he says flesh here, he's talking about viewing things, viewing people in an unredeemed way. He's like, don't view the world in the way the world views it. Don't view the world apart from Jesus. Don't view the world with unredeemed eyes. Does that make sense? He even goes so much far as to say, he says, I, Paul, used to view Jesus that way. Do you remember how Paul, Paul used to view Jesus before he met Jesus in Acts chapter 9? Do you remember that? Was it positive or negative? He hated Jesus. He thought Jesus was a blasphemer. He thought Jesus was like a terrorist. He's like, and, and anyone associated with Jesus, he hated Jesus. He had Christians killed and imprisoned and all that. Uh, and so he couldn't stand the name of Jesus. Why? He did not view Jesus through the redeemed eyes. Now, I could easily sit here and ask you, well, let's turn the question on us. How do you view Jesus? And I would say, hey, do some of you view Jesus as the spiritual guru guy? Do some of you view Jesus as the Sunday savior? And most of you would say, no, I don't. I view Jesus as uh, the, the, the perfect man, uh, God and man in one. I view Jesus as a savior. I view Jesus as everything in my life, the one who saves me completely. And I would say, that's great. Um, with that, then my next question would be, how do you view yourself and others and the world around you? With what lenses do you put on when you live your life? With what lenses or what worldview do you have when you're viewing yourself and others, when you're making estimations of life? Do you have the world's view or do you have the view of Jesus? The world's view, and a lot of us succumb to this as well, is very materialistic. Like everything is about amassing more stuff and having great stuff and all the things along that way. The world's view of church is it's an event. You show up on every Sunday if you got nothing better going on. That's the world's view. The world's view is of status, of body image issues and stuff like that, of success when it comes to money and power and authority and all that. That's the world's view. Viewing the world through the lens of Jesus will be more things like peace unity, and grace, and mercy, and humility, and selflessness, and self-sacrifice, and things of that nature. But many, many times, we as Christians, we don't, we don't take on that view. We, we view the world in another way. And, and what we do is we view people in another way. And, and, and what, we, what we do when we view people is we begin to look down on people and elevate ourselves. It's what we do as human beings. Am I right? 
We, we do. That way we can boast in ourselves and we can look at other people and like, you know, we can say, well, at least I'm not like them or at least I don't do those things or whatever that looks like. And we can boast in ourselves. And whenever we boast in ourselves, that means we cannot, as the Bible says, boast in Jesus. And that becomes a problem. We need to see people, Christians, non-Christians, the way Jesus would see them. We no longer see people as just friends or just enemies, or just customers, or just co-workers, or anything like that. We see people who need a constant drip of the love of God in life, just like we do as well. We no longer have to compare ourselves to other. Oh my gosh, we did this all the time. We no longer have to compare ourselves to other, or try to keep up with other people, or we no longer have to compare the people in the other way to where we look down upon them and say, well, at least I'm not like them. At least I don't have a marriage like theirs. At least I don't parent like them and have those kids in my house. Don't act like you've never done that before. We no longer have to do that. Why? Because we have the lens of Jesus on and we see people for what they truly are, that they need to be reconciled to God. And Jesus has done all that. Tim Keller said it like this. When we grasp that we are unworthy sinners saved by an infinitely costly grace, it destroys both our self-righteousness and our need to ridicule others. We need to, we need to look through the lens of Jesus, see through the eyes of Jesus. That, that's what we need. We'll no longer see broken people and broken by their addictions and all that kind of stuff and think bad of them and why can't they get their act together? I got my act together and all this and that. No, we'll see those of people who need to be healed. And we'll be reminded that we're broken people as well that Jesus is working on as well. No longer when we go to Costco and Smith's or on the street corner, you see someone panhandling for money and we sit there kind of indignant in our cars and be like, you know what? You can go get a job just like I can go get a job or whatever. Don't act like you've never thought that before. And they're like, well, I wear my underwear on the outside of my pants. Why would you say, like, I, I, I'm struggling in life. Why can't we see those as people who need Jesus, who need help. If we don't care for the poor, we don't understand the heart of God. Can, can I say that just one more time? If we don't care and are compassionate for the poor, we don't understand God and the gospel. We don't. See, we stop looking at people and where they're at now. We stop looking at people and judging them on their past. We stop looking at their history and we start looking at their destiny in Christ. We have to look forward. We have to look forward. We have to, we have to look at the grace of God in our own lives and see that that's possible for other people as well. I mean, question. Is it not possible for God to redeem all people? Do you believe that? You know why you should believe that? Because <laughs> if you're saved, he's done it to you. And you, like what Paul says, should be, should be able to, to confidently say, I'm the worst sinner I know. If you can't say, I'm the worst sinner I know, then you don't understand sin nature as well. Of all the murders you've created in your heart, adultery that we've created in our hearts. Yeah. So number two, everyday, you know, following Jesus and be a missionary. Number two, see through the eyes of Jesus. That's what we need to do. But, but why? Why should we see everyone through the eyes of Jesus? Why can't we just say, no, I'll take everything at face value and I don't want to do that? Why? Why, why should we? Well, my, my first two points should leave you with some questions. 
it should feel a bit odd to you and feel unanswered. Why should I give Jesus more control and why should I see through the eyes of Jesus? Why? It doesn't make sense why we should. I'm going to give you the answer. Are you ready? Why should we give more control to Jesus and why should we see through his eyes? Because of the all-encompassing gospel. That's why. Let me show you. Look at verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning in relationship with Christ, in covenant with Christ, in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, if you've been in church long enough, you've probably heard this verse, right? You probably have this verse on a mug, on your water bottle, maybe on your body. I don't know, but you have probably heard this verse. And when we hear this verse, what do we do? We personalize it. And, and rightfully so, because it's a very personal verse. It is for us. It is true. When the Bible says, if you're in Christ, you are a brand new creation, meaning you're not a better old version of yourself. Doesn't mean like uh, the old version of you not being religious is now religious. Not meaning the old version of you is not spiritual and now you're spiritual. It doesn't mean that you kind of got your act together or you're more moral now. No, you are something altogether brand new. And he also says the old has passed away, meaning the old self, the old identity apart from Christ is what? What does passed away mean? Dead. It's no longer alive. And the beauty of all this is, is what did you do to make yourself a new creation? The answer is, do you believe that? You've done nothing. This is all an act of God. So yes, 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 yes. It is very personal, but I'm going to add to that. It's something more than just being personal. It's bigger. It's all-encompassing. Look back at the text. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. In the original language... It reads like this. In the English language, we had to put a couple words in there to kind of help smooth it out and make it sense of it. But in the original Greek language, it reads like this. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Does that make sense? Like it's not, it means you are a new creation, but what else does it mean? New, new creation all around. The new creation refers both to the person and to the world which we enter. The world now is being reconciled. The whole world is being reconciled to God. New creation has already broken. It's transforming the way in which we look at everything and everyone. We look at everything and everyone as new creation. That's what we do, which drives me back to the point uh, number one of, well, because of new creation, I want to give Jesus more and more control of my life. Why? Because he is sovereign over all things. Which drives me back to my second point. I want to see uh, the world and people the way Jesus sees them because he loves them. He's reconciling. He's making all things new. That's why I have point number two. You see, the gospel is bigger than Jesus came and lived a perfect life for me. Jesus came and di died on the cross for me. Jesus rose victorious from, from the grave for me. It's that, but it's much, much bigger. It's personal and it's cosmic. N.T. Wright said this, the gospel is not just a mechanism for getting people saved. It is the announcement of a love that has changed the world, a love that is therefore takes the people who find themselves love like this and sends them off to live and work in a totally new way. The energy, listen, don't miss this, the energy to get up and go on as a Christian, as one who works for the gospel, therefore, comes not from a cold sense of duty, not from a fear of being punished if you don't do your bit, but from the warm-hearted response of the love to the love which has reached out, reached down, and reached you. This is what Paul is talking about. 
this good news not only saves you, but it gives you a whole different view of the life you live right now. It is new creation life. It completely affects all of us. It changes everything. When you were saved, it changes everything. You, you know what that's like in life. When something happens in your life, it changes everything. Uh, for, for those of you who have kids, you, you remember what life was like before kids? Why did you chuckle? God, forgive them. But that's, right? Remember, before kids, it was like, it was peace and quiet. Now with kids, you're like covered in peas and carrots or whatever. Like, it's just like, it's a whole, but you can't go back, like when you have children, you can't go back to living life like when you didn't have kids. Remember when like when you can get up and just go like, hey, let's go get on a plane and fly somewhere. Like, well, okay, cool. Let's do it. Like, remember that? Yeah, I can't do that anymore. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's the same with Christ. Paul's begging them, and I think begging us, will you see this? Like, like the love of Christ will control you. And, and we can give Jesus more and more control because he can be trusted because he's bringing this new creation. You can live in this. And, and, and also, like, don't just see the world through the eyes of a worldly way of like, these are terrible people and terrible things are happening. No, don't you believe the end? Jesus promised he will return and redeem all things. He's using us now to, to do this. And that's what he gets to when he says in verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, he gave us something. If you're a Christian, this is what he gives us, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or sins against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not like God's trying to, like, lost his world and trying to get it back. It's all his anyway, but sin has corrupted it, Satan's messed it up and all that. But what he's doing is he, he, he's reconciling it to himself, and what he's done is he's giving us the task. He has the power, but we're the ones, we're the tool that he will use, the sons and daughters that he will use to reconcile the world. Verse 20, that's why he says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us, God is making his appeal to the world through you. you. Can you hear that? Like, he's making it through you. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What does this mean? You're an ambassador. You know what, how an ambassador works, right? Like, there's a king, and he has ambassadors. And this church, and churches all over the world are, are just embassies. We're outposts of the kingdom. And as ambassadors, we're going around telling everybody about the king. We're not, we're not the solution. We're telling them, no, the king has a solution. His solution to the world's problem is to be reconciled back to him. Well, how do we do that? Well, Jesus has done everything for you to be reconciled. And so we go and we tell everybody from this outpost, this embassy, as ambassadors of the king, the king is to come. The king loves you. The king wants you. He wants you. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom. Come and join us in the kingdom. Isn't that great? This is what we're called to do. That's why this line is in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. We pray it every Sunday. Pray then like this. (laughs) Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, verse 10 is where it's at. Your kingdom come, your will be done. If if that was it, we'd be like, hey, that sounds great. But this next line's ours. On earth as it is in heaven. You know what that means? We pray this every Sunday. You know what that means? On earth as it is in heaven, there's work to be done. That's what you're praying. That's what we're, there's, there's work to be done. You know what that means, Christian? Listen to me because you're going to hate this. Listen to me. There should be no such thing as a bored Christian. 
shouldn't. Oh, we're bored. That's why we watch as much TV as we do. That's why we're spending so much time on our phone. That's why we're bored. There should be no bored Christians. Why? I've looked around the world. <laughs> There's a lot of work to be done. Am I right? <laughs> There's a lot of kingdom to kingdom work to be done. And so let's let's do this together. Let's give Jesus more control. Let's see through the eyes of Jesus and, and, and see that we are reconciled, so we can see other people reconciled as well. Verse twenty-one. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ah, I love that. Righteous is a word we really don't use a whole lot in a positive connotation, unless you're from the 80s. Remember we used to use the word righteous a lot? We say, that's a righteous babe there, or whatever it is. We say something like, a righteous car. No one says righteous anymore. Uh, But righteous is, is a good thing. Righteous means several things, but it means that you are right with God. It means you have God's rightness about you, not because of you, but because of God. And uh, theologians of old have called this verse the great exchange. Here's how it works. You, when you trust Jesus, give him your past, present, and future sins. You give him all your inadequacies, all your shame, all your guilt, all the bad. He takes all of that, and on the cross, he gives you, or the theological word is imputed, he puts in your account his righteousness. Do you know what that means? You're not working for God's love anymore. You're not working for God's approval anymore. You don't have to prove yourself and do all this image, image building that the world is telling us to do. You don't have to do that anymore. Why? Because peace has been made. And the peace was made by Jesus and by his cross. And so if you're in Christ, listen to me. You're righteous. Do you believe it? It's true. You are righteous. And now God has called us go share that good news message that people, the world, can be right with God by trusting Jesus. And you ask, Ty, that sounds great. How do I do it? How do I live for Jesus in everyday life? How do I live as an everyday missionary? Number one, give Jesus more control. Number two, see through the eyes of Jesus. That'll help you live for Jesus. That'll help you want to share the gospel more. Now, you may be here, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a Christian. Like, this doesn't apply to me. But it does, because you've, you've, heard, you've heard good news. Jesus loves you. He wants you. He wants you to be a part of his team. He wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to, to be a part of the kingdom and a part of his mission. And so here's what you need to hear. 2 Corinthians 6.1, it's right after this. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Now listen to this last line. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Look, t- today is the day to trust Jesus. For many of you, you've been coming to Grace Point Church for a while, and for some reason, you've been putting it off. And you think a, a, a week, a month, uh, a year or so, like, it'll help me understand more. No, 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 no. Listen, our Bibles tell us to come to Jesus with a childlike faith. It doesn't say we need to come to Jesus with an adult-like faith. And the idea is that the door is open, walk through the door, Jesus will walk you the way. Like he will, he will show you and share. Some of us think, you know what? I need to think more about this. What is thinking going to do for you? What is it? Like Jesus has presented himself. Trust him. 
be saved. Because today is a day of salvation. Do not miss an opportunity to trust Jesus. So here's, here's what we're going to do. In a moment, you see the pool of water in front of me. I haven't even said anything about it yet, but there's a pool of water in front of me. We're going to baptize people at all three of our gatherings, people who have trusted Jesus at some point in their life, and they want to be public about it, and they want to be baptized. And so we're going to see that in just a moment. Today, if you're here and you have not trusted Jesus, today you can trust Jesus. Here in a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. We're all going to stand up. When we all stand up, if you want to trust Jesus and be baptized, I'm going to ask you to walk right out those doors. There'll be men and women out there. They want to tell you about Jesus. You, you might be saying, well, I don't, I don't have clothes for that. Well, good news for you is we trust that God's going to save people. And so we have shorts and shirts out there and all the kind of good stuff. Or you can just go with what you got going on. It's fine as well. But you can trust Jesus and be baptized today in obedience. Today is the day. Maybe for some of you, you've trusted Jesus but you haven't been obedient in baptism. Today is the day. So I'm going to pray. Maybe you brought someone with you, and it's a great time to lean over to them like, hey, do you want to trust Jesus and be baptized? I'll walk out there with you. That way you're not walking alone, and I'll come up here with you. That way you're not alone. Do that as well. Today, today's the day. You can have the righteousness of God. He can take your sin, past, present, and future. He can take that all, your shame, your guilt, and you can have this, just this mission this, this all-encompassing gospel, and be an ambassador for the king. I want to pray for us. And if this is you today, make sure you trust Jesus and be baptized. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for uh, your outstanding love, your grace, and your mercy. Father, I pray for us as Christians in the house. I pray that um, busy and bored are, are things that, uh, of course, we'll always wrestle with just as humans, but God, if we got to be busy with anything, may we be busy with kingdom work. May we be busy loving and serving one another well. May we be busy with uh, loving the world around us well and, and, and just doing kingdom work to, to bring forth the gospel so people can know you and be reconciled. Father, forgive us for being uh, just it, building our own kingdoms and, and having a world of you. Jesus, may we give you more control. And Jesus, may we see through your eyes. God, I also pray for my friends here that have not trusted you. God, your word says that you are mighty to save. And so I ask, God, that would you just save people? Would you take them, as your word says, from death to life? As your word said, today may the old pass away and may the new come and may they become new creations in you by your work, by your power, and by your word. I pray that you would give them the confidence and the boldness and the faith to trust you and to be baptized today. And God, today may just be a declaration that the enemy's time has come and that, uh, that, that the kingdom is coming. And so may he be ashamed and may his mouth be shut of all that he does. And God, also may this, what we do today, be good and joy-filled for us to see uh, brothers and sisters in Christ as they join together on this mission of yours, and may it be good for the world and for your glory alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.